Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against all the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I, an ambassador, am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Lord, may we be a fearlessly strong people in the power of your Holy Spirit through the tremendous work of Jesus Christ that's given us access to God our Father. May we shine your light brightly wherever you send us. Amen. I wonder, you watched just two minutes of the greatest training montage in cinema history. If you don't know what movie that is from, um, without any political subtext, that is Rocky Four. Those of you that have seen it know it, and it is great, and you feel like when you're done watching that movie, you could do anything. Even though he's training in British Columbia, not Russia, the idea is the same. But I wonder about our spiritual lives. Do we put the same sort of attention, effort, and preparation into walking with Jesus is Rocky Balboa and Ivan Drago would do in Rocky IV? Or do we much more haphazardly take the approach that I've seen us, and you know, I confess there's been days in my life where you just get up, you grab the Bible, you don't even grab a Bible anymore, you grab your phone, you hit the Bible app and you read the verse of the day and you say, I've spent time with you, Jesus, amen. And then we wonder why we struggle then we wonder why it's so hard to do this thing called life. And remember, we've been making our way through Ephesians, and and Paul starts as he's writing these letters saying, don't you dare forget the centrality of Jesus Christ. He made a way for your salvation. Don't ever forget that our relationship is with him to the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit and live in the great fellowship that comes from knowing God. And then he goes on to say, and don't you dare forget that you're in this together. That You are called to a life that thrives, a life that enjoys this world we live in, not because of all the trappings of the world, but because we know we're here with a purpose. 
And that purpose is powerful. That purpose is giving life to a dark world, shining light into the darkness and saying, have you met Jesus? There's a better way. There's purpose. And even more specifically, he then continued on and he reminds us that God gave you, when he baptized you with the Holy Spirit, he gave you the gift of the Spirit that is in you that can be exercised in a variety of ways. Use them to build up the church. Because when the world sees a church united that is glorifying God by loving Christ, loving one another and reaching out, a world is transformed. But the world doesn't know too many churches that are in the habit of doing that. Because churches can get a lot more insular. We can talk about ourselves and what we do inside and we get comfortable and we can talk about this or that or you've heard me use the illustration carpet color started a church war once in a church I was in and in the end I still thought the carpet was ugly but as Paul is finishing this letter he's reminding us that we were created to thrive in a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ that shows the world the greatness of God And that is a wonderful opportunity for us just as much today as it was 2,000 years ago when Paul was writing. But he does not want us to be fooled. The whole letter has been a letter of training. Get ready. Bulk up. Train up. Prepare yourself. And as he's finishing his letter, he's reminding the church that the battle we fight is real. There is a battle in movies and cinema and pop culture have talked about it in all sorts of ways. There's the battle for good and evil, the good guys versus the bad guys, the this versus the that. But for those of us in Christ, we know there is a very real battle that every moment of every day, Satan is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's doing that in all sorts of ways. But he does not have the ultimate authority and power. And I think sometimes we forget that. We can look at the circumstances of life and they can feel crushing. You ever feel that way? Come on. Yeah, you're lying if you don't. Or you, well, some of you, I know you, you're really mature in your faith and praise the Lord for you. You are an example to me. But I told somebody yesterday, I went to bed on Thursday night and I felt like, somebody was pushing on my chest and on my back at the same time, just crushing. And I just couldn't sleep because it just felt so heavy. And I thought to myself, well, of course it is. We're looking at Ephesians 6. It's spiritual warfare. We are fighting a battle. And if there's a battle to be fought, how does a church thrive in dark times? Well, it is actually pretty simple. And Paul, I like, Paul can sometimes use run-on sentences like he did just a couple of chapters ago, a 236-word sentence, uh, which I challenge all of our academics to go write and turn that in and see how it gets reviewed. But now we get to this part, and he's like, I want to keep this simple, and I want to keep this real. And the first thing he starts with is right at the beginning of, remember, he's not using verse numbers, but he starts a new thought, and he says, finally... And then he's going to go on for a while. But finally, brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord. Church, if we took a report card, are we full of strong people? I mean, look at me. I'm huge, right? I look just like Stallone, don't I? No. Although I love the dude's beard. 
I want that beard. But in, in all reality, I know I should be at the gym every day. It would be good for my heart. It would be good for my cardiovascular system. It would be good for blah, 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 right? And all of us would feel the same. Some of you are in the gym and well done. I look up to you. But I'm not spending the time there building up my body for years of good health that I should. In the same way, the church is called to live in the power of the Spirit and in the truth of God's Word. And how do we get there? We practice. We spend time in the Word daily. We enjoy this. We enjoy it individually We enjoy it corporately. Why do we put so much attention onto community groups in the life of the church? Because we need each other. We need to wrestle with God's word together. We need to explore it together and apply it to our lives together. And we need to build each other up. And we grow strong in the Lord through prayer, through depending on him in good times. Paul consistently in this letter and all his letters, he says, give thanks. But he also reminds us that we can take everything to the Lord in prayer. We must be a church that reminds us much of that little song that if you grew up in a North American church, read your Bible and pray every day and you'll grow, grow, grow. Well, you know, as simple as it is, there's some very good truth to that, a lot of truth. We need to be investing in the word. If you remember us a few years ago, we went through the Colossians 2-7 course. You remember that? Some of you might have memorized Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. And it reminded us that we, just as we received Christ as Lord, we're going to continue to live our lives in Him. And how are we going to do that? We're going to be rooted and built up in Christ Jesus, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, sitting under biblical teaching, studying together the Word of God, and overflowing with thankfulness. As we grow together in community, thankfulness goes out. As we grow strong in the Lord, we have a different perspective on how we see the world. A strong church does the work of bulking up. That means spending time together in community. It means spending time on your own, ordering your life around a relationship with Jesus first and foremost. Ordering your life around building relationships with those that need to see the light of Christ ordering your life around praying for more than Aunt Edna's hurt toe, learning to cry out to the Lord. I've mentioned almost every sermon in this series, I love Psalm 40. The, the, The psalmist there was learning how to cry out desperately to God. I waited patiently for the Lord. You almost get the feeling he's saying I waited patiently, but I'm not sure how patient I was. And I realized the Lord not only heard me, he leaned down and listened to me. These truths, these promises that we come to know don't come just from, oh yeah. They come from doing the work of growing in Christ Jesus. They come from the the work of spending time on our knees in prayer, uh, of spending time in the word of God, of spending time in community. So let me pause for a sake, for a second and say, What are you doing next weekend? If you haven't signed up already, there's... uh, See? See? A strong church grows stronger together, right? Ephesians, all of it? You with me so far? Yes, Mike? Yeah? 
Nobody wants to admit because they know what's coming next. And you've waited all summer to commit to coming to the retreat with us because in Hong Kong, we wouldn't want to commit anything before 24 hours because something else might come along, right? You're all embarrassed, but you know I'm right. Why don't we go spend a weekend together? Maybe you don't have the whole weekend. Come on Sunday. Be right out here. By the way, there will be no church here on Sunday. But if you get here at 9.30, the buses will bring you out. And we would love to have you. If cost is a factor, cost is not a factor. We want you there. If you can come Friday night, come Friday. If you can come Saturday, come Saturday. But grow with us. Pastor Mark, would you just raise your hand? He's going to be sharing with us. He's our previous lead pastor, and we are thrilled to have him. But see, the thing, why do we have retreat? Do we have it just so we can enjoy each other's company? No, we have it so we can sharpen one another, that we can grow together. We do, by default, enjoy wonderful times together. But we're there to grow to be a city on a hill. We're there to learn together. How are we going to shine brightly for Jesus Christ in the world he's created us to live in? How are we going to give hope to people desperately in need of hope? We're going to build up. We're going to train up in the way we should walk. We're going to be a church that seeks to be stronger and stronger every day we live. What else are we going to do? Well, a thriving church is battle ready. And, you know, lately it hasn't been very popular to talk about Christianity in terms of a battle. Well, I don't like that imagery. You'll hear people say, I, I'd much rather be uh, a, a God or follow a God of peace. Well, the problem is there is a war of good and evil going on all around us. Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. And sin is still very much a part of this world, but sin has no dominion here for those in Christ Jesus. Shouldn't we want to wage the war against sin, avoiding every Every immorality that comes, remember, avoid, or there shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality among us. There shouldn't even be a sliver of moral questionable behavior. But do we do it on our own? No. Do we fail on our own? Yes. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live with strength and be ready for the battle. And so Paul is teaching us, he's saying a thriving church is battle ready. A thriving church is seeking to help the world see there is redemption, there is reconciliation, and there is hope. And we're going to dive into the mud, not to seek to sin more so that grace may abound, but we're going to dive into people's lives with them to seek to bring them toward the glory of God. We can't do that on our own. We have to be rooted in God's word, living by the power of the Holy Spirit, and walking together in prayer and ministry, being the church. A thriving church is battle ready. How do you get battle ready? Well, we talked about it. You train. You spend time in the word of God. Listen to to what Paul says. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Mike, I don't get it. That's confusing. Well, maybe 1 Timothy makes a little more sense to you. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. God has brought you to himself and about which you made the good confession. You told the world, I am his. 
I believe in Jesus Christ and he has transformed my life and I will enjoy relationship with him forever and I would like you to enjoy that the same. And in so doing, we prepare for the battle that is both against forces that are seen and unseen. Mike, I can't even think about the, the supernatural world or whatever term you want to use it because I can't see it and I've got enough problems right in front of me. And you know what? You're right. The church often fights battles from within just as much as it fights battles that we can't even see. And Satan tries to trick us into disunity. He tries to trick us into moral ambiguity, into saying, well, that's not, that's not really what God meant when he said that. I was listening to a podcast this week that said, you know, in the 70s and 80s in the Western church, people got very comfortable saying, I, I like your Jesus, I just don't like the church. Mahatma Gandhi is famous for saying that, uh, but, or a similar version but, but this guy, Miroslav Volf, a, a famous theologian of quite liberal bent, is now saying, he said, you know, now people aren't even saying they like Jesus. They're saying they don't want anything to do with someone that would make absolute claims on their life. And the battle is very real because in the past, people would say, well, I might like Jesus' teaching, but now they're afraid to obey the word, and that has permeated into the church. And we fight a battle of, is Jesus who he says he is? Are we going to live a life that says Jesus is who he says he is, the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father, and that we need him, that he is the Messiah, the chosen one, and that he called us to bring people to himself as we obey his word and we show people how to love as he has first loved us. These are all simple truths that we know, but then the alarm clock goes off on Monday morning, right? And then somebody says something to us that's so frustrating. And suddenly Jesus gets pushed to the side. Why is it so easy for Christians to take detours in their spiritual lives? Because we're not battle ready. We haven't prepared for the fight that is both very physical and very supernatural. They're not one or the other. They're both and. The powers that are fighting should lead us to our knees and should call us to prepare for battle. Not only that we could show others what it means to walk faithfully with Jesus, but that we could bring them with us. Maybe you've seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge. Has anyone seen that movie? A few of you? It's an incredibly powerful movie. And without going into all the details and in one part of World War II, the Allied forces were stuck on this ridgeline called Hacksaw Ridge, as far as I know. And one medic, he was a pacifist, he didn't feel he could take another life. And he spent an entire night rescuing not only Allied forces, but in one occasion, at least that we know of, an enemy force, rescuing and saving their lives. And at the, as he would lower each one down the ridge, he would say, just give me one more. He'd prepared for that day. He did what he knew he could. And God used him to save many lives physically. In the same way, will we put ourselves into positions where it might be hard? It might be uncomfortable. But we know we're right where we're called to be. And we're prepared to fight for the souls of those all around us. 
We're prepared to fight for the souls of our children. When they're told you can identify and be anything, we're saying, no, you are a child of the Most High God. And there is a way to live that's different, that's better. That's better than how you identify over here. So then how do we suit up? A thriving church suits up, right? And again, we think about suiting up, and you'll notice I don't have a tie on today. But some of us would never dare, if we had to put a tie on and go into an important meeting, we would never dare do it like I'm about to do it, right? We would make sure there's a mirror. We would certainly look to make, we're, make sure we're doing it properly. But we wouldn't go in like this, would we? I don't look prepared. Do I look like I'm ready to go speak somewhere where this is the common dress code? No. We would take time to look in front of a mirror to make sure that we are prepared for the meeting we are walking into, that we are adequately dressed. There are certain places you go in this wonderful city we live in where if you do not meet the dress code, you're not welcomed in the door, right? Maybe you've been to some of those. In the same way, we can't dare fight a spiritual battle if we haven't suited up, if we haven't gotten ready. If we're not ready, we're going to be fighting from behind the game the whole time. And Paul wants the church to be suited up, to be prepared for our fight against evil. The first thing we have to learn is that the armor is not ours, it's God's. And he is putting it on. So when we say we're going to put on the belt of truth, we know that the truth is found in no other place but Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the cool thing is, in in my little mind, when I think about the belt of truth, I always instantly go to my favorite superhero, Batman. Right? Because Batman had the world's greatest belt. Especially if you watch the old, was it 70s and 80s TV show with the kapows and the kapams, and all of that. And Batman's utility belt had everything on it. He was prepared for whatever the Joker could bring at him. And he was prepared to fight for the little guy in the same way. If we believe Jesus has called us, which we know he has, to be a people that walk justly, live humbly, or that seek justice, live humbly, and walk... I've butchered it. We seek justice, we love mercy, and we walk humbly with God. We realize that he's given us all we need to walk this earth, shining as light in the dark world with the belt of truth wrapped around us. Able, as we saw in Ephesians 4 and 5, to speak light into dark situations. How do we do that? How do we know how to speak light into darkness? It's here. It's always here. And as we open this and as we say, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, teach me, he opens our eyes and he lets us see more than we even knew. I can't tell you the number of times I've sat in with people going through difficulty and I've had the privilege of sitting on a team as we're counseling or working towards something and I've listened to the person next to me and thinking, wow, I have never heard them speak like that. And they've spoken truth into a very difficult, painful situation, but it was done with gentleness. And I remember at one point it was my wife and she voluntarily walked into just an explosive situation. There was no other way to put it. 
And I remember listening to the words that came out of her mouth, and I'm like, oh, help us, Lord, because this is about to go ballistic. And in the end, the person she was speaking with said, you know, I've never thought of it like that. (laughs) And my wife, I love her. She's upstairs, so I'm not going to get in trouble. She looked, and she said, maybe you should. And I, so we went to bed that night. I said, where did that come from? She said, well, I guess the Holy Spirit wanted me to speak. I will never forget that. The spirit of truth was wrapped around her, and she spoke truth with boldness and courage that Paul says, pray that I would do the same. And she did it, and a relationship was transformed, and that relationship has continued on in a somewhat healthy way, even moving forward. But see, we put on the belt of truth. We don't speak our words. We speak the truth of God. And he is always relevant, is he not? So what else do we do? Well, the one that I've enjoyed thinking about this week is that breastplate of righteousness. You put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And one of those is that breastplate of righteousness. And as you do that, as you've suited up with power, the breastplate of righteousness gives us this picture of protection, right? You think about that? When you, if you put something on to protect your chest, it's protecting your heart, right? And we know the scriptures teach us that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So that heart is kind of a window to the soul other biblical imagery uses. But Mike, I'm not very righteous. And I say... Praise the Lord you understand that. Me either. But let me just show you one more thing. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. I'm not doing it on my own. There is no one righteous. No, not one. These are all what Paul has written. But what are we doing because of what Jesus has done for us? We're wearing his righteousness. So when we're putting on the breastplate of righteousness, we are putting on God. And what weapon can stand against the power of God? Absolutely nothing. We are safe in his arms. If you go back to the Psalms time and again, we read that our Lord is our strong tower and our mighty refuge. We put on the righteousness of God and the belt of truth that lead us to see the world with bright eyes and allow us to walk walk in it saying, I will not be harmed by this world, but I will shine the light of truth in it. And in the same way as I'm carrying righteousness with me that is not my own because I on my own am nothing but dirty rags, But God makes me righteous because I'm carrying him. And I'm ready with the feet fitted with the readiness from the gospel of peace. Mike, what does that even mean? Well, if you turn back in your Bibles to Psalm 52, you get a picture that means I don't have to say much. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Shoes aren't very fancy, but my prayer every day is that they are walking this 
magnificent city saying, God reigns. Have you met Jesus? What do our feet look like? I hope our feet have some mud on them. I hope our feet look pretty worn out because we've spent our energy walking with people, showing them, helping them, advocating on their behalf to point them to the glory of knowing Jesus Christ. How do we do that? How do we even have the strength to do that? Again, Paul keeps pointing us back by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. As we live in spirit and in truth, we walk with Jesus and he leads us as we then bring others with us. Our feet are ready for the battle to fight for the souls of others and to fight daily for our own soul that we will choose life over the ways of the world and over the ways of darkness. You put on the shield of faith. Well, what's the shield of faith, Mike, that I believe in God? Even more. Remember, we've talked about faith has great power because we know our faith is true. And all the way back in Genesis, God reminded Abram of who God is. And he told Abram, don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. So Mike, when I'm carrying the shield of faith with me, I'm remembering that God is who he says he is. Yeah, you're brilliant. That's exactly it. Again, he is our protection. He is our shield. He is our fortress. We're not doing any of this in our own strength. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are walking into a battle for the souls of others and for our own sanctification, saying, I know that I am in his hands and I am protected. And I am carrying God's protection with me because he's God and I'm not. I've been saved and I know in my mind and I believe in my heart and I live with my life that Jesus Christ is my Lord and that helmet of salvation says no one will snatch me from the hands of my Father. And the sword of the Spirit's My son was having his devotions, something that at this point in his life he's still forced to do. (laughs) Not forced, but hey, bud, have you read your Bible today? Yeah, Dad. How many verses? One. Okay, well, we'll keep trying, buddy. But in this day, I said, bud... I want you to go spend, spend just a little time in God's word. And we've been practicing how to do that, how to discipline and order our lives, but how to also to enjoy God. And, and he's quite artistic, so we've taught him to try to draw what the Holy Spirit's teaching him as he brings it out. And he comes down to me and he sits on my lap. He's still willing to do that, and I love it. And I cherish those moments. I said, so bud, what'd you read? And he said, you know, Jesus got tempted. I said, yeah, I know. So what'd you learn? And he thought, well... We got to fight against temptation, right? It's like, yeah. Hey, bud, how did Jesus fight against temptation? Well, he won. Well, I know, but how did he fight against temptation? Oh no, I didn't really think about that. Well, can we can we look now? Yeah, okay. Dad, I want to go to bed. <laughs> well, let's just look at this. Well, he quoted the Bible, Dad. It looks like. I mean, I don't know. I said, did you know he just quoted from the Pentateuch? All three, when he addressed the devil and the evil one, he just went back to what was promised in Deuteronomy. I said, so what do you think that tells us about the word, buddy? So I think we should know it, right? 
Yeah, and he's trying to figure out, give me the right answers. He's still at that age. How much more do we need to learn the same thing? That when we go into battle, we have the sword, we have the ammunition to fight. I agree, Mike, because there sits my Bible. Oh, look at how new and shiny this one looks. You know, I don't like carrying this Bible around. You know why? It's too pretty. Because this one only gets used one day a week. This one only gets opened on Sundays. The one I use for study is, looks like it's been run over by a car a bunch of times. And it's been with me since I was in eighth grade. But the thing is, for many of us, do our Bibles look this pristine? The only Bible we have. Well, how are we going to prepare for a spiritual battle if we're not spending time here? Now, many of you might say, Mike, I don't have a Bible. Well, I want to introduce you to something. Have you seen one of these? Most of you probably have one of these. And with just a couple of clicks, you too can have any number of Bibles for free. We live in a day and age where there is literally no more excuses for not spending time in the Word of God. If you say, I don't know what to do in this situation, I can always tell you, well, let's pull out your phone, let's pull out your device, apples are better, and get the right one, and let's make sure that we are spending time in God's Word. Let's make sure that we are gearing up for the battle that is waged within and around us every single day. That when you're tempted, you see something that you know you shouldn't want, but you do. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Or no temptation has seized me except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let me be tempted beyond what I can bear. So then how am I going to bear it? I'm going to keep quoting scripture and walk by. I'm going to run away. I'm going to flee from evil and run toward the loving, welcoming arms of the prodigal Father, well, the father wasn't the prodigal, but run toward the father. Are we prepared for that kind of battle? Because here's the thing. We have to understand that the world we live in, evil, discouragement, and distraction come from all sides. 500 years ago today, a man named Martin Luther nailed 95 statements on the door of a church because he saw something was inherently wrong with where the church was headed. Was Martin Luther perfect? (laughs) No, far from it. But in that moment, Martin Luther believed wholeheartedly that something had to change. And that began the Protestant Reformation. And in some ways we are better for it. In other ways I cry out for unity. But what do I know? That Martin Luther knew that sometimes the battle for good and evil is fought when both sides think they're good. But they've lost sight of the glory of God through the person of Jesus Christ. And in so doing, we must not let that stand. And I know some of you face that. Some of you face where people that know the right thing to do are treating you poorly and there's no easy answer. When I started Bible college uh, at Toccoa Falls College, I remember I sat in a class of of one of the prominent missions professors at the time and this was my first class in the Christian missionary world and I was all excited for great encouragement and great everything and it took my first class, it was my first day of school 
And Dr. Allison looked up and he said, I want you all to know that there is more conflict in being a missionary than you've ever seen before. What? I thought all missionaries got around and loved being together and treated each other great. No, missionaries struggle too. And as I was counting around how many different missions agencies are represented today, I think I'm at six so far. Welcome all of you. I can't name you all. So know that I am so glad you are here. From from MMM to the CMA and all its things, uh, lots are here. But here's the thing. The battle, as Paul has reminded us, can be for a battle of unity. It can be against the spirit of discouragement. It can be against the very real power of sin over our lives in any number of ways. We must be rooted in the word and living with power. Well, where does that power come from? Our prayer lives, our community lives, and our private lives. They are connected. What does Paul pray? Pray what? In the spirit. The scriptures teach us that the Holy Spirit is praying on our behalf. Sometimes we don't even know what to pray. He does. Praise the Lord. And as we do it, not only that, but we can pray in all occasions. So when should we pray? Guess awake today? When should we pray? All the time, anytime, right? This is pretty common sense. But we don't. We get distracted. We feel like the only way I can pray is if I've got this special place and a special time. Those times are important. Those places are important. But you can be walking down Wanchai and saying, God, redeem this city. That's all you need to say. God, we pray your spirit of protection upon these people. What he leads you to. Pray the scriptures. Pray as Paul prayed. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for who? The Lord's people. Do we pray for each other? Remember a few weeks ago, we all put, hello, my name is, so that the church could be praying one for another. On Wednesday nights, we are seeking to pray for as many of you by name as possible. Why? Because at all times, we want the church to know that we are with you and we are praying in the spirit that God would not just guide you and protect you, but that he would use you as his saint called into battle for such a time as this. We can't ignore the fight. So how are we going to thrive? Well, we're going to train. We're going to suit up daily. We're going to pray like never before. We're going to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit as we cry out praying God's word. And we're going to walk in his power saying, I'm not the one responsible for winning. God is. My strength is in the Lord alone. My hope is in Jesus. My power is by the power of the Holy Spirit to walk through this life. And I am not alone. And I'm going to invite other people into the journey. It's been interesting because I think sometimes the church makes us feel like we have to be all buttoned up and proper. And I think sometimes it would just be so refreshing if we admitted one to another, I'm struggling, I'm having a hard time. And the response to our neighbor, to our friend, to our brother and sister in Christ was, let's go to battle together. Let me pray for you right now. 
You know what would bless me today is if as I saw you interacting right after church today, I saw you praying for one another because we love each other. We don't have all the answers, but we can point people to the greatness of God and we can point them to saying, Lord, may your power be upon this person like never before. Give them strength to face whatever comes today and tomorrow. Instead of the good old, I'll be praying for you, brother. I'll be praying for you, sister. No, don't. Do it right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, and let him speak life into both of your lives. Would you do that today? I'm going to go into a governing committee meeting in just a few minutes, and we're going to pray for one another, and we're going to pray for you, and we're going to pray that we would be a church living in the power of God, thriving, not because everything is easy, but because we are known as children, we are known as children of the Most High God. We are his saints, and we're walking into battle. And we will thrive. As we're about to sing, it's time for the church to rise up, put on the full armor of God, and to shine brightly because of what Jesus has done on our behalf in the truth of his word, by the power of his spirit, to walk day by day and to invite others with us. Takes training, takes hard work. But God is with us every step of the way. Are you downcast? We're with you. Are you excited? We're excited with you. Look right up there. You see that? You know what the lit candle at AIC means? People gave their life to Jesus Christ yesterday and we rejoice. Is that not awesome? And the great thing is it felt like it was an accident but there are no accidents with God. But you know what did happen with the Saturday group that just happened to be at the Walled City Park yesterday? They had prepared to be ready to share Jesus with those around them. And when they were prepared, their feet were ready and they got the chance. And two more souls are part of our family and we rejoice. Church, now is the time to arise, to fight the good fight. I'm going to call the worship team up. And we're going to close in song today. And as we do, my prayer is that AIC is a thriving church that is constantly seeking Him first, living in the power of the Spirit, praying with power in all occasions that we might fearlessly walk this earth showing people the greatness of God. Let's sing together.